I did that on purpose so it killed four minutes of my time. <laughs> Again, my name is Don Kudak, and I am privileged to serve at Wisconsin Lutheran College as a business professor. And following business professor union rules, you can't talk for more than four minutes without a PowerPoint presentation. And that's why I was standing here with a blank look on my face. Let me start by sharing with you my appreciation for being invited to speak today. But more importantly than that, let me say I have an appreciation as well as an admiration for what you folks do day in and day out and have done for many, many years and decades. I am the product of a Lutheran education. I went through Lutheran grade schools, Lutheran high schools. I have many teachers and pastors that have made an incredible difference in my life. I am confident that 85% of the teachers I had in the past would be utterly shocked to know that I was standing up here speaking to you today. <laughs> the other 15% have gone to be with Jesus in heaven. <laughs> but in addition to my appreciation and admiration, I have to share that there is a lot of apprehension here. When John called me and asked if I'd be willing to speak to the crowd, he, one of the first things he said to me is, I understand you're someone not afraid to share a thought, even if it is not the most popular. And I said, that's true. It's gotten me into trouble more times than I can count. So he said, would you like to do it? We'd like to have different thoughts and ideas. And I said, well, is there anybody there at the conference that has the ability to rescind my call? I've gotten used to sleeping indoors. He said, yeah, probably, but he said I wouldn't worry about it. Now, I have never been in a den of lions, but I have a feeling, other than this one scenario, it went a lot quicker than the 12 and a half minutes I'm standing here today. And so when I come to you with this appreciation, admiration, I have a lot of apprehension as well because I'm not here to share the same thing that you may have heard or, or seen and thought of in the past, I'm going to ask you to take a little different viewpoint. My apprehension over time grew. And the reason for that is when I went out and looked at the website, I found that WLC was the sponsor for this talk today. And my first thought was, well, what a nice way to show that they're supporting me. And then my mind started playing games. And I no longer thought that, but I thought, I wonder if they're sending a message. We're watching you. We're listening to you. We sign your paycheck. And when I got to the conference, it got even more so, finding out that they, Dr. Johnson was going to introduce us, and the apprehension grew and grew and grew. And so I took the 25 years of corporate America, the experience that I gained, and I said, I'm going to do what we used to do in corporate America, and that was prepare for the worst. And so I did just that. <laughs> All kidding aside, as Lutherans, one of the greatest gifts we have is that we know our eternity has all been taken care of. It is all done. There is nothing left to do. But I ask, does that Lutheran background 
cause us to sometimes think of an all-or-nothing mentality in our leadership styles? Does that all-or-nothing impact how we lead? Let me share some thoughts with you. When this thing called leadership first began, we believed that leaders were born. You were born with something, it was called the great man theory, and when something happened, it would cause you to rise up and take care of the situation. There was nothing you could do, it was all done. But when we realized the flaws with that, we began to realize that we could help make leaders. We could train them in certain areas. And yet what has happened is in many circles is that pendulum has swung to the right where people believe everything can be taught, everything can be made. Research has shown that a good leader is about 75% made and 25% based on the gifts they have. And so it's not all or nothing. It is a combination of the two. One way people uh, express this is through this idea that influence equals leadership. We heard it a couple days, on this a couple days ago on this stage. It is very popular. Some of the world's renowned leaders aspire to this influence equals leadership. But I ask you this question. Does the bully on the playground have influence? Does what she, do, what she does on the playground cause people to do things differently than they would want to? She has influence. But is she a leader? What about the neighbor who calls the cops every time your dog barks or you look at them wrong? What about the vocal member in our congregation that unless the idea came from him or in somehow is going to benefit him, he is not in favor of it and he will let you know. Does he have influence? Absolutely. Is he a leader? I don't think we want to call him that. So I think it's important to go back to what we originally believed and said leaders have influence. Influence does not make you a leader. The third thing is you have no experience to do what you need to do. How often do we look at the people in our midst and say, I have the experience, I have the job, I have the call, I have to do it. It is too big of a project to trust it with you. That's my job. And so we shut out the, or we take the all or nothing. Maybe I can let you do it, but everything you do, I need to approve before you do it. And we take a little bit of this all or nothing mentality. But what if we step back and say, maybe we can help you manage the process. Maybe it won't be done the same way I do it. Maybe it won't even be as good as what if I had done it myself but you give somebody else the experience as well as the enjoyment of participating. A common thought today is stay in your lane. Do your job, I'll do mine. Ne'er the two shall cross. I know I want to, I tell you, come and see me if you have thoughts or ideas, but is it really our true belief? Just stay in your lane. Let me do my job, you do your job. 
And yet what happens is that in today's society, I'm not the expert in all things, and so what if we encourage people more and truly had people tell us what they're thinking, what they can add to the project? Sometimes I'll be the leader, sometimes you be the leader. Let's change lanes occasionally, everybody will benefit from it. And so if we realize how important and how valuable crossing lanes is, we can enhance not only our leadership, but everybody else's leadership as well. Leadership training is key. What a great conference. 1,300 people attending to hear different ways to lead. There is no doubt leadership is key. Three days of, of talks and training on leadership flawlessly put together. It is estimated that $50 billion a year is spent on leadership training. If you Google the word leadership within less than one second, 500 billion um, links will pop up. And yet I ask you this question, are we better leaders today than we were a generation or two ago? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, yet expecting different results. And although leadership training is key, I would argue that in many cases, leadership training is failing. If you look at different scenarios, one of the scenarios that is faced is, and I do some work with the fire departments and police department leadership, and one of the challenges that they face is those people are put on such a pedestal in the community. They're heroes, and rightfully so. I'm not saying they shouldn't be. But it impacts how they lead, how they relate to others because of that pedestal. Boy, I pray none of us ever fall into that trap. Next, leadership skills are unique. That's why we need to do training. In 2009, a major study was done where they took the top 20 characteristics of successful leaders and they gave them to the leaders and said, tell me which of these characteristics you'd like to see in your followers. And they expected them to be night and day different. And what they found was that they were very similar. Five of the top 10 uh, attributes that people aspire to from a leadership side were also in the followership side, the, uh, the non-leaders. They were not that different at all. Here's the list. One, three, five, eight, ten. Top five, five of the top 10 on the leadership side are also on the top follower side. Who does not want somebody working with you that is honest, competent, intelligent, dependable, straightforward? If we believe we need to train our leaders to do this, this is the other half, but if we believe we need to train our leaders, why don't we also train our followers? This looks like a typical organization chart. The leader at top and the people supporting them down below. We're there to support the leader. But what if we looked at it this way? That the purpose is in the center, 
and we each have different roles. And there is no doubt a leadership role is different than a followership role. Some of the skills a leader needs are different than what a follower needs. But if we set it up such that the, uh, the mission and the, the uh, purpose are in the middle and the uh, leaders and followers are working for each, with each other for that, don't we take a different mentality from a leader-follower role? One way that I propose that we should do this is what I've created called the humble follower. It's something that everybody needs, every leader needs, but it's probably not what you think. What I'm talking about is training followers to be followers, to teach them how important it is in their role, the ability to show them how important that role is, not do it for a while until you can get to be the leader. Take this role seriously. Be proud of being the leader, excuse me, the follower. Like I said, I use this to say, let's create humble followers. H, honesty, in both their work and communication. A recent Barna study said that 64% of all adults do not believe in an absolute truth that the circumstances and the situation determine what's right and wrong. 83% of teenagers believe that. If we want to take an all or nothing mentality in some area, it's right here. We need to encourage and train and teach our followers to be H, honest in all their doings. You, unwavering, personal morals and beliefs. Build those personal morals and beliefs so that when the situations arrive, they are unwavering. M, mission-minded, a personal vocation. We've seen and heard and talked about that this week. Be bold in all your actions and, and uh, interactions. Don't we need somebody to see our blind spots and not be afraid to raise a hand and say, I'm not so sure I feel comfortable the way we're going. And yet at the same time, do our actions discourage people to do that? The statistics are amazing how many people have issues and problems and challenges after surgery because something happened in surgery and the nurse was too afraid or the assistant was too afraid to raise their hand and say, wait a minute. We need people to be bold. We need people to be learned, not just in their skills, but in this role of follower. Teach them what it means to be a follower, to be a good follower. And lastly, emotionally intelligent. Do we understand the people we work with and what can and cannot be done? What if we flip the switch and we begin to spend some of that $50 billion not training leaders, but training people to be followers? We have no problem telling somebody, I follow Jesus Christ, or I follow so-and-so on social media. But when it comes to corporate America or leadership areas, nobody wants to be a follower. Robert Kelly who wrote the, one of the first books on followership, said it's our obsession with leadership that keeps us from thinking about the followers. 
although approximately 80% of the success of an organization can be attributed to the followers. But I ask you, why is this important? Rachel Thompson wrote an article not too long ago where she said, through this emphasis on leadership, are we setting our students up to face potential disappointment when their leadership aspirations are not met in post-graduation job? And it doesn't have to be students. It can be young people or next generation. She went on to say, what is more, they are likely to be judged by their followership performance than their leadership identity. And lastly, she said, with mental health already an increasing issue, there is a real need to ensure that additional stress and pressure are not placed on our students. Dr. Brene Brown, who wrote the book Dare to Lead, said this, shame is the fear of disconnection. It's the fear that something we've done or failed to do, an ideal we've not lived up to, or a goal that we've not accomplished makes us unworthy of connection. When we say to people, be a leader, be a leader, be a leader, everyone's a leader, be a leader, you got to be a leader, be a leader, be a leader, and somebody doesn't believe they have the gifts or the desire to fill that role, are we setting them up with an ideal that they've not lived up to, a goal that they've not accomplished, which makes them unworthy of connection? The Apostle Paul said, if you have been given the task of leadership, take it seriously. Leadership is not easy. It is tough work. And how many times are we in a leadership position where we just would rather not be? But before he said this, he said this, if your gift is serving others, serve them well. Thank you.